Ho, 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 and welcome to this most festive of podcasts, because, let's face it, what evokes thoughts of Santa, presents, and festive cheer more than a podcast which looks at STIs and contraception in antiquity? Just remember, you can't spell festive without STI. As ever, I will remind you all that there's a veritable trove of merriment on my website, that's ancientblogger.com, where you can find articles and links to my Instagram and Facebook. There's even a link to my YouTube channel where you can see my perfect radio features in all their glory. Finally, and most obviously, I'm on Twitter, at AncientBlogger, so come and say hi. In this podcast, we're going to discuss which STIs may have existed in antiquity. If you read some of my tweets in the run-up to this, you might be expecting something on surgery and the hygiene of Roman baths as well. In fairness, time got the best of us. I will get something covering surgery and bathing in the future. Now, before we go any further, it's worth considering the topic in hand. Whilst there's no swearing, as with all my podcasts, we will be discussing some quite salacious topics and medical terminology which will cause the odd stifled giggle, and rightly so too. If you're parents and you have young kids, probably not a good one for them. If they're above the age of consent and you want them to put them off sex permanently, then pipe this into their room immediately. Now I did say we because I have with me Emma, who you will remember from the Halloween double bill. Hello again Emma, allow me to start with a question. Why are you here, and have you brought any mince pies? I'll answer the easiest question first, and um, that's, I have bought mince pies. I carry them around with me all of the time in December. Very Good important, idea. very important thing to do. Hopefully you'll like them. Be um, prepared. <laughs> the reason I'm here is to talk about sexually transmitted infections, which is my one of my favourite topics, which may or may not make me sound a bit strange. I've got a degree in biomedical science and I'm doing a master's in infectious diseases at the moment. I'm also a science educator so I suppose you could say I'm a bit of a disease expert. So this is the sort of thing that you will talk to your students about or it will come up in some way with classes you teach? Yeah I, I do try and shoehorn in sexually transmitted infections wherever I can. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, I teach 16 to 19 year olds. Yeah, 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 not... <laughs> yeah these aren't primary kids. No. Although... ABC uh, no, no, it's... no, 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 no. Of course not. But I will say, having had a little listen to your introduction, that it's okay to talk to your kids about sex and sex education if they're under the age of consent, particularly when it comes to sexually transmitted infections, because sometimes people don't follow the law. I was just trying to be funny, and then you, <laughs> you just picked me up and just said, "Right, that's not that's not good." Yeah, I had my teacher head on very much. Fair enough. No, it's an, it is an important point, though. Uh, not being a parent, I don't know. No, I mean, we're not going to get into the, the debate about when children or young adults should start sex education. But I think, yeah, that's obviously down to the parents. But it is also a good thing for people to be aware of information, health. In, informed decisions are always good decisions, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think perhaps we can leave it with that. Follow the law, but it's good to know some <clears throat> exciting yeah. things. So the idea behind this is, I'm, I'm unsure if you haven't listened to our Halloween podcast that we did, then I'm disappointed and a bit sad. Uh, Emma was on that purely from the premise of being a a bit of a Halloween history, uh, Halloween horror nerd. Yeah. You, you liked the horror films, and I thought it'd be quite interesting to talk about that. And we talked about the ancient history, um, ghost stories, and stuff like that. And those of you who might have had 
who listened a couple of times to those episodes, and why wouldn't you, would have noticed I did mention something about how much I like diseases. Yeah, yeah, you did. I think it was particularly with the zombie. Yes. With the zombie. Uh, anyway, we'll leave that one Leave that one be, as it were. The idea, then, is that I have uh, a knowledge, you can call it that, on ancient history and things pertaining to ancient history. And obviously Emma's got the knowledge when it comes to the disease side of things. And what, what we've done is effectively looked around, picked out some of the STIs uh, that seem to have been evidenced in antiquity. I don't know much about them. And Emma's obviously going to be able to cover the, the scientific part of it. I'm going to be able to cover other parts of it. And I think it's just a case of taking it. And then we're going to talk about contraception. So in the first part, I suppose really we should give a bit of an overview that it is really quite difficult to diagnose a lot of these diseases and STIs that exist uh, in antiquity, simply because we don't have, there wasn't the science at that time to be able to make uh, specific diagnoses of them. I also wanted to, I did want to ask this, because I don't know this, and I imagine quite a few people listening will probably not know it either. STIs and STDs. I know there's a difference because they're called different things. I just want to know what the what the difference was between them. Okay, STIs and STDs tend to get used interchangeably quite a lot, but they're not exactly the same thing. STI stands for sexually transmitted infection, and STD stands for sexually transmitted disease. Now, we have to go back to looking at the difference between an infection and disease. Right. An infection is basically the entry and the multiplication of a pathogen in your body. A pathogen is some kind of microorganism that can cause a disease or that can go on to cause a disease. So a virus, a bacteria, a fungus. Again, without going too much into the science of it, viruses more so are generally linked with disease, but bacteria and fungi can be perfectly normal, natural things that can occur in or on a human without causing any problems at all. So a pathogen is something that causes a problem. Mm. Whereas disease is the disruption of a body function or structure caused by the pathogen right so it's kind of a continuation you get an infection then it can progress into it oh okay gotcha yeah um the moment you start having signs and symptoms of something it's a labeled disease right so now you can begin to see that with sexually transmitted infections a lot of them are symptomless yeah and we'll go into into those and so an sti is an infection that hasn't hasn't developed into a disease yet so a perfect example would be um hpv which i think we are going to look at Mm. Yeah, human papilloma virus, which causes genital warts. Um, you can get human papilloma virus, HPV. There are lots of different types. We'll talk about it later. And you can have it and not know you've got it. So that would be an STI. If it then develops and causes other problems, and certain strains of HPV have been linked to cervical cancer, then it is an STD. Okay. So you can have an infection without getting a disease in terms of sexually transmitted things but you can't get a sexually transmitted disease without having had the infection first so really infection is about the pathogen gaining entry into your body and trying to take hold your immune system might deal with it you might find out you've got it and take some drugs and it'll go in which case it remains an infection but once it's taken hold and starts causing problems and changes within the body that's when it becomes a disease and we're going to start with the first i don't know if it's an sti std you can tell me that is in for discussion that is gonorrhea and the thing I learned about gonorrhea straight away is how I can't spell gonorrhea, which, again, we'll come to in a bit, I suppose. But Emma, if you can just give us an idea of what gonorrhea is, how it presents itself, all the fun facts. Fun facts about gonorrhea. Mm. I want to start by saying that gonorrhea is my, 
my favourite STI, um, which sounds like a strange thing to have. But from a... It doesn't sound, it is. From an epidemiological perspective and from a, the way the bacteria works and the way what it does to the body and the way it multiplies and stuff, I just find it fascinating. But this isn't a microbiology podcast, so I won't go into that. Okay, so as I've already said, it's a bacterial infection and the name of the bacteria... And this is where I end up butchering Latin, so I apologise because I'm sure there are people who are listening to this that, sp- away. that speak Latin far better than I do. But its its name is Neisseria gonorrhea. I can't even say that gonorrhea. Excuse me. And we te- well, I'll just call it the gonorrhea bacteria. Yeah, gonorrhea. It's a bit easier. And it only occurs in humans, no other animals. Really? Which sounds like oh. a strange thing to say, but. There are a lot of STIs where there is some kind of animal equivalent. Yeah. But with gonorrhea, there isn't one. Um, it occurs through direct transmissions. So that's person to person. And it generally is sexual contact. There is also vertical transmission. And all of the STIs and STDs we're looking at today do also have a, a vertical transmission. That sounds like something you'd find in a car. <laughs> no, no, not quite. It means it's mother to baby. Oh, okay, so and you can go through the placenta. Not always. Oh. Usually mother to baby is at birth. Right. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Because of the, the mess that is birth. No offence <laughs> to be- anyone. beautiful mess. The beautiful mess that is birth, yep. Um, so, yeah, gonorrhea can occur vertically from mother to baby. Most diseases involving yeah. the genitals can, although we will see later there are some that can cross the placenta. Oh. But... Some, to that. <laughs> some can't cross the placenta. Um, it all depends on the, on the type of, of pathogen it is. So, yeah, mostly, like I said, unprotected sexual contact. The interesting thing about gonorrhea is the statistics surrounding the transmission of it differs between men having sex with women and women having sex with men. I don't have any stats for men having sex with men, so we're just looking at the transmission from a man to a woman or a woman to a man. I imagine man to man is going to be similar from man to woman, but in terms of the chance of infection, if you have unprotected sex once with somebody who's infected, yeah. if you're a woman, you have unprotected sex with a man who's infected, you're 50% likely to get the disease. Okay. Or sorry, the infection um, immediately. And by that, I mean you haven't got to have multiple... Occasions. I was going to say sessions, which probably isn't the correct term, but yeah, multiple sexual... It's one one sexual Dalian, contact. Dalliance. thank you. I'm not very good at this <laughs> this kind of couching of the words. Whereas transmission from a woman, infected woman to a man is 20%. Oh, okay. So it's... If you're a... Yeah, so blokes, if I was infected, I'm far more likely to give it to a woman. Yes. Than I am if I had sex with a woman. Yep. who was infected and I wasn't. And, yep. and we wouldn't, obviously weren't using condoms. Yeah, it's all about un- unprotected sex. Right. Um, it can be passed if you're asymptomatic, which means if you haven't got any symptoms at all as well. Most SDIs are passed whether you've got um, symptoms or whether you're aware of having it or not. In fact, most pretty much all of them are, I don't think. I think some of them are more virulent, which means it's easier to catch it right. if you're showing symptoms. Um the entry of the bacteria is actually through mucosal membranes. So that is the vagina, the urethral mucosa of the penis. That's the hole down the middle of the penis. Um, and also the anal mucosa. And so assuming that if there is any kind of anal sex, and once again, I'm not assuming that man-to-man sex is always that because it isn't. And also man-to-woman sex isn't always that because it isn't. But that increases the risk as well because the vaginal mucosa and the anal mucosa tends to get more... Um, damaged during 
sexual intercourse, whichever type, than the penis does. The penis, the urethra of the penis doesn't tend to get damaged during sexual intercourse, but anything that it's going into, the mucosa is quite quite a um, delicate delicate part of the body. Not in a painful way, it's just just the way the, the body is. It's just, it sheds cells quite easily, can get damaged, and by damage we don't mean scary damage we just mean natural wear and tear right you can you can take your mince pies back <laughs> so the infection once it gets into the mucosa whichever mucosa it is is <clears throat> excuse me usually localized but it can get into the bloodstream and spread elsewhere and that's something that's called systemic gonorrhea but that is quite rare um people don't tend to get systemic gonorrhea unless they've got some kind of um immunity problem be it being on immunosuppressants or having some kind of immunity disease there are plenty of them but once you've got gonorrhea, which hopefully won't happen yeah, okay. to anyone, so I've, <laughs> I've gone and I've had a dalliance, an unprotected dalliance uh, with an, an unpre- infected person. Yeah, yes. with an infected person. So, where, how long? Symptoms tend to develop within two to seven days, so it's quite quick. And that, those are those are calendar days. That's not work days. This thing, <laughs> this thing doesn't take the weekend off. It's no, not, it does not. It, it's twenty four seven. It is twenty four seven. All day, every day, and all night, of course. Mm. Um, with men, it's urethral discharge and pain upon urination. Okay. Um, there can be some local complications. They would occur a little bit later, um, which would be epididymitis, which is the inflammation of the tubes that take the sperm from the testicles to the penis. Um, I do like the word epididymitis. Quick aside, if you ever hear the word itis at the end of any kind of diagnoses it tends to mean the swelling of something okay i don't know if that comes back from a latin root possibly Uh, we could have a look at it at some point but so tonsillitis for example is the swelling of your tonsils appendicitis is the inflammation of the appendix and so on that will come up a few times so that's why i'm pointing out in women there's vaginal discharge but 50 percent of women are asymptomatic so they don't know they've got it so that's that's pretty bad um untreated it can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease chronic pelvic pain in women and infertility because um, is that across both men and women infertility or is no. That, no no i was just about to say it's, it's oh. the fallopian tubes that are damaged okay. the epididymis sorry the epididymitis could in theory if it got really bad cause infertility in men but bearing in mind how um sensitive the testicles are you probably know that you had it and, you'd go, and you'd go to the doctor whereas our fallopian tubes those women out there who do have fallopian tubes We'll, um, we don't have that many nerve endings in them, so uh-huh. they can get nulled, nulled as you like, and you just don't know about Lovely. it. Um, you can also get gonorrhea in your throat, your eyes, and your <laughs> rectum. Hell of a weekend. <laughs> um, the rectum will have your normal discharge. Your throat, you'll just have a sore throat. So, Because although the throat does have mucosal membrane in it, it's not the sort of mucosal membrane that tends to have caused discharge unless you've got a very severe infection. And the eye... Um, is swollen and there's a bit of discharge, there's a bit of edema in the eye. The vertical transmission from mother to child of gonorrhea causes um, an eye issue in the baby. I'm trying to remember what the name of that is. It's called Ophthalmia neonatorum, which again sounds like a name of somebody. Yeah, it does. (laughs) But it's not, but that's a specific, I'm laughing, it's not funny because that's a specific horrible thing that can occur to a baby who may get gonorrhea bacteria in their eyes during the birth from the birth canal. Um, so that's not very nice. And just to finish it off, there is a rare systemic strip spread of gonorrhea, like I've said before, which can cause skin lesions, um, endocarditis, which is to do with some heart stuff. I'm not going to go into that too much, and arthritis as well. So 
gonorrhea systemically or getting it and it not being treated and it going to be systemic which it doesn't always do it can just remain localized do you if you so if you've caught it then are you it gets to a point where it's is that continual so if uh yeah it, it becomes a chronic condition chronic conditions are ones that just stay in your body doing stuff. Right, okay. It will likely remain localised. I mean, the thing is, because penicillin can get rid of gonorrhea, apart from super gonorrhea, which is developing at the moment, which I'm very excited about, but not, it's not it's so a, exciting. It's Avengers film, isn't it? <laughs> no, super gonorrhea is antibiotic resistant, resistant strains yeah. of gonorrhea. Um, but generally, we don't have much knowledge of what happens when gonorrhea goes untreated. Right. Particularly not in the developed world. Right, okay. So it's possible that in the time we're looking at, it could have been more likely for it to become systemic. Okay. And as I was, the systemic spread can cause other problems, which can then go on to lead to death. But it's so it's you're dying with gonorrhea rather than of gonorrhea, and that gonorrhea okay. might have caused a problem with your heart. Right. Yeah. That may have caused a heart attack or heart disease or something, but it's not the gonorrhea. It's the damage caused by the gonorrhea okay. that would then go on to kill you. So technically, it's not the gonorrhea that's killing you. It just didn't help. Well, thank you very much. Do you want to hear about uh, instances from history? I do, yes. Of, of gonorrhea. <clears throat> I found this book online, and if you ever looked at books online, sometimes you can look a couple of pages, and then you really want to buy that book, and then you look at the price of the book, and you think, no, I can't. And this is one such instance. There's a really good about the, a good book out there called Diagnosis in Assyrian and Babylonian Medicine. It's by Joanne Skurlock and Burton Anderson. It's the University of Illinois Press. And it, it it looks really good, and I was able to read a couple of pages. I wish I could afford the book. It, it, there's a couple of inscriptions from uh, Assyrian and Babylonian. I couldn't get the exact date on these, so I do apologise, because I usually like to say... Anyway, there's a couple of texts or inscriptions, and one of them was, uh, if a person's penis stings him, he lets his semen fall when he urinates. It goes on, pus continually flows from his penis. And therefore I thought discharge because we were talking about symptoms that you can almost put a pin in the map and go this is possibly that does <clears> sound like gonorrhea i quite like the poetic bit about the semen flowing to the yeah. ground or whatever it was but well that's funny <laughs> enough we will get to the name gonorrhea okay. why it was called gonorrhea uh, so we've got that and, and after that point we can we can go a bit well we're going to go old testament literally old testament because there seem to be a couple of instances in the old testament where STIs, or certainly sexual disease, is referenced. And there's a, a number of discussions on it, which, if you want to go online, more than obviously welcome to do so and look them up. Uh, the first of which is in Numbers 31. And Moses uh, is particularly angry with the officers of an army of just won a victory and brought back uh, a load of cattle and the women from the, the, the army they defeated, which was standard practice. All women who had lain with men, he executed... But he, he said, you've got to spare the virgins and the children. All the soldiers who had, it says, touched any of the slain, take that as what you want, they had to be purified. Uh, everything that can stand fire shall pass through it, also purified uh, with water as well. So there, was a, there seemed to be a massive amount of cleansing going on. And, it's, um, and this is... It's a very difficult one because when you've got when you follow the the tribes of Israel uh, and their sort of exploits, as it were, integration with other tribes, people, and that sort of thing is, or can end up with uh, visitations of plague or disease, and it's seen as sort of godly judgment 
upon uh, as a punishment for doing that. I'm not an expert in the Old Testament. I'm sure there are instances where that's not the, not the case, but this is from what I've been reading. And it's it seems that here we've got a almost a quarantine from any kind of sexual involvement. Anyone? Yeah. Uh, more 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 interestingly, I'm going to go. This is my favourite. Can I just say something about that one though? Go on. Um, I'm frowning, which mm. you may or not be able to hear, but I I wonder why they slay all the women, but the soldiers who've been friends with the women or whatever the lovely way they couch it can be purified. Why yeah, that yeah. seems a bit mean to me. Well, yeah, I, I think that it was. Uh, there's a lot of well, we will see this. We will okay. see there's a lot of purification cleaning. Now you can either you can argue that's purification from uh, what would be what we'd consider a, a medical sense. Mm. Or you can see it as a religious right. Right, okay. And I think in a lot of instances, the two are very meshed together. Okay. One informs the other. Now, Numbers 25, which is starts with possibly my favourite sentence in the Old Testament. Uh, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. <laughs> it's a great new band, Daughters of Moab. I'd quite like to live in <clears throat> Shittim, to be honest yeah. with you. But anyway, again, there was a reference there to a venereal disease. I just wanted to pick something up you said about the movement of tribes. Um, that's that's quite an interesting one, particularly, I imagine, further back in the day, that the immunity of people does develop as there's integration between different countries and, and different communities. And so I do think that if you've got a new set of people being presented to another set of yeah. people, it is possible. Fresh as flu. In a really, really, really... <laughs> yeah, OK. In a... I was going to go into some really lovely science there. Go on but then, yeah, go on no, 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 Freshers' Flu just explains it probably better than my science ramblings would have been. The, the final instance of this, and I think this is, this is the, the most sound. If you heard those other examples and you thought, not totally convinced by that, fair enough. This one, I think, is, is quite profound. And this is the Old Testament section, which is always, or has been, whenever I, I've looked this up, this is the one that's strongly referenced to gonorrhea. OK. And it's Leviticus 15, and it's uh, the Lord speaking with Moses and Aaron. Uh, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean, and this is the law of his uncleanliness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with a discharge or body is blocked up by his discharge, it is uncleanliness. Discharge and uncleanliness. <laughs> that, been, that word a lot yeah. there. Now, every bed upon the which the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. There was also, it, it then goes on and it follows a similar pattern, saying things that are unclean, anything that's been used, uh, food, so food items, bowls and things like that, uh, and people that, that that person may have touched or been in, in relation with. They, everything's required, everything needs to be cleaned, mm. washed. They have seven days of, of effectively what is quarantine. They have to be, I suppose, symptomless for about seven days before they're considered clean again. And then it says, uh, if a man has an omission of semen, he should bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And this is the same with women. And if they both lie together, then they're both considered unclean. And it's this idea, and we'll see this with gonorrhea, that the discharge could often be, uh, I suppose, incorrectly diagnosed as semen. Which is where you get the name from. Yeah. Galen, in the... I suppose second century AD coined the term, and it mean it comes from gonos, which is semen, and uh, roy, which is flow, because he thought that it was sort of basically uncontrolled flow of semen. It's interesting that you say about roya being or roya being 
uncontrolled flow because obviously everyone's had of diarrhea. Yeah. So that's that's where that comes from. What I thought was interesting, um, again, bringing a bit of science into it, is the idea of clothes and everything being unclean. Just to make it clear to anyone who doesn't know a huge amount about the gonorrhea bacteria, it dries out really, really quickly when it's not in the body. So if you have got some, right. some discharge that then dries, if you will, yeah. or sits around for a while. Is, the, is it infectious? Is that... No. So if, for example... It needs to be fresh body fluids. Okay. If, for example, if... If there was some discharge and it was left out for a bit, it would dry. That the, quite a lot of your sexually in, um, transmitted infections don't survive too well outside of the body, apart from the ones that, that live and thrive on, on skin rather than in no. mucosal membranes. But mucosal membranes are mucosal, they are moist. Sorry, I know a lot of people don't like that word. There is a lot of lubrication in the mucosa, whether we're talking about the genitals or we're talking about the rectum or the throat. Um, so when they are outside of the body and not in a moist environment, they won't survive. Right, okay. And body fluids can only last so long being a, a wet environment outside of the body. It's quite a, I would say, advanced consideration of disease and sanitation. Oh, absolutely. Infected people. Not The, the idea being that it, it's not just you that, that could be infected. It's, it's your items, it's things you might have used. And how that came about, we don't know. In either case, I think it's, yeah, it's quite a, quite a forward-thinking view. And I just want to finish up. There was a chap called Celsus who was writing the first century AD. Interestingly enough, he wasn't a, uh, a doctor. He wasn't a surgeon. But he, he catalogued a lot of the uh, what-to-do-ifs and cures and, and all. And it, there, there's some quite interesting stuff there. He, had, he reported on gonorrhea as being a, a complaint about the genitals and excessive outflow of semen. That's in his book four. Uh, his remedies for this, rubbing, <laughs> yeah, swimming in cold water, uh, no hot food, and avoid sleeping on your back. Mm, you're shaking your head. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't see. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know. And I did think, because I asked you about how easy it was spread, and one of the things we were going to do, we were going to talk about Roman baths and how unhygienic they, they really were. And uh, this this would have been this would have informed part of that because there were cold baths, there would have been cold water there. If I've got if I've if I've got gonorrhea and I'm swimming in cold water yeah. and I've got discharge and you're being encouraged to go and do that, other people are in sharing that water space. Is there a good chance? I mean, it of... depends how cold the water is, but at the same time, like I said, you've got to have disrupted mucosal membranes. So swimming right. around in cold water, unless you are forcibly placing that cold water and i mean forcibly into yourself then it's not and even then if it's if it's cold the 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 bacteria won't dry out but they are quite delicate i mean again that's not something that we look we we don't look about how gonorrhea bacteria survives in cold water but bearing in mind people who have gonorrhea aren't advised not to okay go swimming or that yeah. kind of thing on they're not advised you know to not share towels or things like so that so it's in, in short it's not something that is going to cause it's not going to spread a great deal in the population unless you're unless you're sexually, uh, sexually active, active absolutely in the i mean at the end of the day our skin is a fantastic barrier against yeah. things and you could have the infected discharge on your skin directly on your skin and it wouldn't well it's funny you say that because i've got some of you right now <laughs> you'd have to know <laughs> In order for you to have some, you're making an admission about yourself that probably isn't true. I, well, yeah, definitely. Unless there's a man in another room or a woman in another room with yeah, the gonorrhea that you're going to bring out. The internet's a big place, you know. 
Anyway, well, we've done that. So we've looked at gonorrhea. So we, we can say, I think, we've got, with the evidence there, I think we can say that gonorrhea was was uh, something which was in occurrence in antiquity. Absolutely. It, it seems that you've got, from the sort of early sort of second millennium BC right the way through till second century AD, you've got references to it. Yes, definitely. And, I, you know, I scoff at the, the remedies and stuff, but some of the things they came up with through either luck or judgment were true and Mm. as we've already said there was no germ theory then and so it's easy to laugh at the ideas of cold baths and no hot food but well it's what i think was difficult with it because uh hippocrates I, i looked up hippocrates it's difficult to know whether he i think he does reference it a few times but again he there seems to be a difficulty in separating this from urethritis, which we'll, we'll come to a bit later, because it, it's often he seems to position it as an acute form of urethritis, which gives us an idea of how things weren't seen as necessarily being separate. Well, I'm not going to go into urethritis yet, because we'll no. talk about that later, but I will say anything that's mentioning any kind of discharge, the chances are it is gonorrhea mm. rather than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thanks, thanks very much, Emma. That was uh, informative. We're going to look next at... Herpes. Herpes. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in a couple seconds. So uh, join us for Herpes Fun. <laughs> herpes is the next one up. Uh, Hippocrates coined the word and it comes from uh, the verb to creep or crawl. And we'll get to why that is. Uh, as we did with the first one, the gonorrhea, I think, Emma, it's a pretty good idea for you to give an overview of what herpes is. I will. Um Herpes is a virus, and because viruses were discovered much later than bacteria, it doesn't have a name that I need to butcher. Um, Viruses don't have lovely, beautiful names. So this is just called the herpes simplex virus, or HSV. There are several types of herpes simplex virus that are around, not all of them associated with sexual transmission. So we're going to look at the two that are. There's the herpes virus 1, I'm just going to call it the herpes virus, by the way, rather than the herpes simplex virus. The herpes virus 1 is the one that most people are aware of because it causes a cold sore. Right. So your common cold sore um, on your mouth, that is obviously oral. Um, It can be transmitted sexually, but it's not the main one that's transmitted sexually. Herpes simplex virus 2, HSV2, is the one, the most common cause of gentle herpes. It is actually one of the most common sexually transmitted infections in the world. Over 500 million people have got or carry herpes simplex virus 2. And globally, most people are unaware of their infection because it doesn't tend to show itself. Right. What is interesting to me as, as a scientist is that herpes virus 2 infection can result with a... Well, can cause you to have a twice as likely risk of developing HIV. Um, that's down to the mucosal membranes that I talked about before. They've become ulcerated. So HSV2 infection interacts really interestingly with HIV from a microbiological perspective. I won't go into it now, but they kind of work with each other, which is which is an interesting thing. If you're into your microbiology, it's worth looking into that. So the transmission is sex, contact with genital surfaces, skin, sores, or fluids of infected people. That's different from gonorrhea because gonorrhea is very much a body fluid right. transmission. Okay. Whereas with, with herpes, it is contact with genital surfaces and because of that you can't always protect yourself against it by using condoms unless you've got and always makes you think of naked gun where they wear giant (laughs) condoms unless you've got a condom that covers your entire skin surface 
so that's why most people or a lot, a lot of people have it and don't know about it is because they assume that condoms can protect against them condoms do offer partial protection also another thing that tends to be one of these misconceptions is that herpes is only you're only able to catch it if you are exhibiting symptoms and that isn't the case i think with herpes simplex one um the oral mm. one the normal cold sore that is the case or it's more the case but in terms of sexual contact the herpes simplex virus 2 you don't have to be exhibiting symptoms so at any on. at any point if you've got it then you can you can transmit yeah, it yeah you're far far more likely to transmit it mm. if you are showing but symptoms. it's not it's not yet no and the symptoms which i haven't mentioned yet but i've kind of yep. allied to them are ulcerating vesicles which always also sounds quite nice great another great band just <laughs> yeah great band name they are basically just ulcers on the genitals right and um, tends to occur three to seven days after infection so you will get ulcerating lesions when you when you catch it if you catch it um the vesicle then breaks down so you get kind of little bumpy little vesicles first much like a cold sore anyone who's ever yeah. had a cold sore it's kind of a bit bumpy initially then the vesicles break down and that causes an ulcer and the ulcers are very painful and shallow so they're not very deep ulcers so quite similar i suppose to mouth ulcers which are, mouth ulcers have nothing to do with with um herpes simplex virus generally I'm sure there are probably some types of mouth ulcers that are caused by that, but mouth ulcers are a different thing. You also get localised lymph node swelling, fever, headache and malaise. You can get that. And if the lesions are on the urethra, and they will tend to be more likely to be on the urethra of a man than a woman due to the length of the urethra, you get um, pain on, on peeing, which we saw before. Right, yeah. Which is, which is quite interesting. Um, healing will take up to two weeks. And this is what's quite fascinating about the virus is that it will travel up your sensory nerve and it establishes a latent infection which is just a latent infection is when it's there but it's not doing anything it's just sort of sitting there viruses like to do that they like to just sort of hang around for ages not doing anything lazy things <laughs> they're clever though but yeah they sit in the dorsal root ganglion nerve sits there and then it can reactivate at any time sometimes times of low immunity so that's the link back to well HIV you say about again. cold sores whenever you see the adverts it's all about people who are stressed or under the weather that sort of thing absolutely so yeah it can then reactivate itself and it travels down the nerves that it came up to the same area that it was it was infected okay and um causes recurrent lesions do they well. it's it, there's no set pattern you could have and i'm talking about both ends of the body here you could get it and you can have the vesicles and the pain and then it goes away and then it could come back in a month's time, five years. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Once you've got it... Which you've... is quite, sorry, which is quite terrifying given the fact that when we, we looked at gonorrhea, that was something that was continually presenting itself. Yeah, more or less. And so you were very much flagged aware that you had it. Whereas this one, and again, in, perhaps in, in times of antiquity, you may consider yourself cured. Yeah. You, you, you took yeah, what, some of the horrible things I'm going to read out they did to you. And you'd say that worked because yeah. it's gone. Yeah, and because it doesn't last very long, the initial infection, and it, it's not something that sits there all of the time. So, yeah, it, it will. It is also another one that can be transferred from mother and baby vertically. Mm -hmm. They call that neonatal disseminated herpes, and it can also cause encephalitis as well. It can be quite serious in newborns. So it's something that if, if you have... I, think, I don't know if they do it in this country, but I know in some American states they test women for herpes to see if they've got it if they are pregnant because right. you want to make sure that you're not expressing symptoms because you are far more likely to pass it on to your child but well my sister's had kids so i'm going to ask her at the uh, she's got herpes christmas dinner table sure awkward chat <laughs> i'll just throw it out there 
past the uh, past the stuffing. Have you been tested for herpes? And why not if you haven't? I'll do it. Why not? Um, but rare complications of herpes can include um, aseptic meningitis and encephalitis as well. This is what you were talking about earlier when you said about causing disease elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I suppose it won't shock you to know that this was picked up. No, yeah. it's, it's very... I mean, if you compare it to gonorrhea, okay, gonorrhea says a little bit of discharge and it's not very nice, but your body would... That's the other thing we didn't mention, actually. Your body might be able to deal with it. it. You wouldn't necessarily have a chronic condition forever. Our immune systems are quite good at dealing with bacteria. So it's possible that you could get gonorrhea and you could survive it and your body could clear yourself of yeah. it. So it wouldn't necessarily be a chronic condition. It could be acute. But with herpes, yeah, your body can't really deal with it. Okay. Well, uh, I mentioned the book earlier, that diagnosis in Assyrian and Babylonian medicine. And there is a as a section in there is uh, an inscription. Which, which reads, the translation obviously reads, If the nature of the sore is that that it is hot, like a burn, and contains fluid, it is called boo-boo too. Which sounds cute. It does sound but cute. But it obviously isn't. And that does sound like what you were describing of E-school. Yeah, so, uh, there was something called the Ebers Papyrus, which date to around the mid-16th century BC. And it deals with a number of diseases, solutions, um, ancient Egypt, in case you hadn't worked that out. And uh, case 818 references ulcers on female genitalia. And uh, it, they seem to, more than that, it's really going internal as well. Mm. And uh, yeah, and that's something that has been picked up. And again, we say identified. We don't have the diagnostic equipment. To, we don't have a TARDIS. We don't have diagnostic equipment, etc., etc. However, this seems to, we could probably place this kind of disease within the herpes kind of I mean there spectrum. are there are we will look at there are other STIs that, mm. that cause ulceration but if it's several ulcer, I mean yeah it's difficult to know but I think it does sound more like herpes mm. uh, Hippocrates who who coined the term he coined the term because he said it spread so quickly that that's what it means it's very uh, contagious her, herpes yeah he it, said about yeah. uh, it was uh, I think the verb is herapin and it or herpin I don't speak ancient Greek so apologies I, I've just destroyed any uh, well anyone's confidence in me <laughs> ancient <laughs> Greek uh, he, he references uh, boils ulcerations around the groins around uh, groins around the groin his solution for this was frankincense of myrrh yes that's festive reference to <laughs> frankincense of myrrh soaked in sweet wine and uh, applied as a kind of poultice and apparently Frankincense of myrrh are both, they've got qualities within them that are very good at antiseptic qualities, uh, agents, which would help bring that down slightly. I don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference, but it's not going to agitate it. No, but you can have a, a topical ointment or such that would make things more comfortable for you. So mm. it's a treatment, I guess, because it vanishes back up the nerve. And then goes away. Mm. That would look like it had cured it. Yeah. And I imagine. I mean, I don't know a huge amount about frankincense and myrrh, but if it does soothe, if it is soothing to ulcers and you know, open wounds on your genitals is going to be painful. So anything that makes you feel better. But we do have Celsus, who I mentioned earlier, in book five. He actually mentions. He describes pustules with crust, which spread quickly, and that sounds pretty much. It's the, the word crust really yeah. upsets me. I'm he, usually he okay with this these. kind of thing. But that's just <clears throat> and he says the patient often has a fever at the same time, yep. and they can be quite sleepy. Yeah, we always said about malaise. Malaise, yeah, you did say about so. that. His, his cure? Tell me. Cauterisation. 
And in case you don't know what that is, Emma, what is cauterisation? Cauterisation is the application of intense heat to a wound so that it doesn't... Burn them off. Yeah, burning it off, basically. I mean, the thing is, I pull a face, but we do use lasers to treat certain things, which is a kind of modern cauterisation. Mm. I mean, you don't do it for genital ulcers. You don't do it for herpes. Mm. You do do it for genital warts, which I think we're going to come to later. I just the thought of having something that is already very painful and open as a wound being cauterised. So you've got something very hot and painful going onto something on your skin, on your sensitive skin, that is very open and painful. It just sounds like it would be... It doesn't... No, it doesn't sound at all pleasant. No. But I I can tell you, um, I I know someone who knew someone (laughs) who had herpes, and that's Pliny the Younger. Oh, nice. Yeah. Pliny the Younger, for most of you... Particularly if you're students and you're studying and you've come across Pliny the first time, you're probably familiar with Pliny the Younger as being that guy who wrote loads of really uninteresting letters to Trajan asking about putting things up in streets. However, in book six um, of his letters, number 24, he writes a letter to Calpurnius Mesa, and it includes the following. I was sailing on our Lake Como with an elderly friend when he pointed out to a house with a bedroom built out over the lake. From there, he said, a woman of our town once threw herself with her husband. I asked why. The husband had long been suffering from ulcers in the private parts, and his wife insisted upon seeing them, promising that no one would give him a more candid opinion whether the disease was curable. She saw that there was no hope and urged him to take his life. She went with him, even led him to his death herself, and forced him to follow her example by roping herself to him and jumping into the lake. Kids, don't kill yourself if you've got an yeah, STI. Yeah, I, I should. Have, this is not. Uh, Plin, do not. Don't take Pliny's advice. Or so it, it seemed there, breaking it down, that a, a chap, an elderly chap, had really pain. Oh, did he say painful? I'm just going to double check. I think he did. Yeah, suffering from ulcers had long been suffering. So this is someone who possibly had herpes. A man who's married, he's had herpes. She, his wife, doesn't seem to have them, or wants to know what's going on. Says, I'm going to have a look. Has a look and then goes, "Uh uh-oh. And then says, that's it. It's over for both of us. Now, could it be because she realised that because he's got them, she's going to get them too? We're inside the mind of... To be honest, if they've been married for a while, she would have them. If his... It depends whether they're still sexually active with each other, I suppose. But it may well be that they're just not as obvious. If they are somewhat internal, she might have had them and just got used to the pain. Like us women do. (laughs) <laughs> it's really, it's it's quite, you know, I know we did this in Hall- in our Halloween episode, how how dark things can dark, get. Yeah. You, you don't, if you're on a lake with a friend, oh, that's where someone jumped to their death. I don't know what with, kind of friends you have. With, that sounds like exactly the sort of conversations I'd have with people. Oh, on a boat <laughs> in a lake, I don't know. But yeah, that, that, I thought that was a really, I say really interesting, by Pliny's standards, I think that's really interesting. It beats yet another letter about sitting up an aqueduct somewhere. Or doing something for Trajan. And it definitely does sound like herpes. Yeah. That, that, yeah if it's it, continuous sores like that. Well, he's obviously been suffering for a long time. Or presumably had been. And again, they, they go away and they come back and they go away and they come back. So, mm. And I'm presuming that potentially back in those days, immunity wasn't necessarily... Or living conditions weren't as good as they are now. And potentially if your immune system's low, then they are more likely to reoccur. I wonder who'd also heard about Celsius... Uh, the cure. Oh, yeah. It's like jump or be cauterised. What a choice. Mm, fun. So we've decided to make this into a two-parter because I can't shut up about sexually transmitted infections and diseases. So this is the end of our first part. Thank you very much for letting me join you and talk about my favourite subject.
I'd say a pleasure, but I'm I feel a bit ill. Yeah, it's also probably quite a good place for you to stop, go and get a cup of tea, perhaps watch something trashy on Netflix to clear cleanse your mind. Netflix and chill, but genuinely just Netflix. Yeah, no chilling. Chill. If you do chill, don't forget to use a condom. Infamy! Infamy! They've all got it in for me!